Uh, this morning we are beginning a new sermon series called When Hope Was Born, a sermon series that explores Holy Scripture in light of the Advent season. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in James chapter 5, starting in verse 7. So when I was a child, the days following the Thanksgiving holiday were always difficult to endure because I hated waiting for Christmas morning to arrive. Whenever December 1st came around, my mom put up the advent calendar that was shaped like a little Christmas tree that had 25 individual pockets, uh, each with a number that corresponded to the day, and a little mini Santa doll to be moved along that calendar every 24 hours. And even though 24 hours doesn't seem long for us adults, as an only child who wants his presence now, 24 hours seemed like an eternity. So I developed this love-hate relationship with the Advent calendar. For on the one hand, I loved that calendar because it gave me something to look forward to. Only 24 more days until I get to open my presents. But on the other hand, I hated that Advent calendar because it reminded me that I had to wait 24 more days until I could open my presents. Uh, When you think about it, Our lives are preoccupied with waiting. Consider how much waiting we do in our day-to-day affairs. We wait on red lights. We wait in lines for our food. We wait for our games to finish, for the kids to get out of school, for our spouse to come home from a business trip. We wait for the day until we get to see our grandkids again. Some of you are probably thinking, I'm waiting for this sermon to be done right now. Our lives are preoccupied with waiting. And despite how much waiting that's embedded into our lives, if it were up to us, we wouldn't wait on anything or anyone at all because waiting can be a miserable experience, especially if you are waiting in line at Six Flags in the summer. So I was a youth intern for a small church in or medium-sized church in Birmingham, Alabama, and we went to Fort Worth for our summer mission trip, and someone on the ministry team believed it was a good idea to have our fun day at Six Flags over Texas. And whoever made this suggestion was really stretching the meaning of fun here. Uh, First of all, the temperature outside was no less than like a thousand degrees. Uh, The lines were infinitely long. Each ride had a wait time over an hour or two or a million, and which meant standing on our feet, our sore, achy feet in unair-conditioned rooms while being uncomfortably close to these strangers who were stinky and sweaty and grumpy, all for the sake of a 45-second adrenaline rush. Does that make sense to you? I mean, I love roller coasters as much as the next person, but is waiting that long worth it? You see, waiting can be miserable at times. And given our dislike of waiting on anything or anyone, James's letter comes along and it's almost like a breath of fresh air, right? Because James is not about waiting on anything. James is all about being doers of the word. 
For James, any Christian who's not a doer of the word is like a person who forgets who they are right after looking at themselves in a mirror. Uh, For what good is it if people say they have faith but do nothing to show it? How can one see your faith if your actions aren't faithful? Over and over, James wants us to not simply have these good Christian beliefs, but to actually live those Christian beliefs. Well, that is until we arrive to our passage this morning, when he tells us to wait patiently for the Lord. He says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters... You must be patient as you wait for the coming of the Lord. Consider the farmer who waits patiently for the coming of the rain in the fall and spring, looking forward to the precious fruit of the earth. You also must wait patiently, strengthening your resolve because the coming of the Lord is near. Don't complain about each other, brothers and sisters, so that you won't be judged. Look! The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of patient resolve and steadfastness. Look at how we honor those who have practiced endurance. You have heard about the endurance of Job, and you have seen what the Lord has accomplished. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So after spending all this time telling us to be doers of the word, James throws us this curveball and directs us to wait patiently for the coming of the Lord. He uses this passing image of a door and says, look, you know who's behind that door? It's God. And, he is going, and he's the judge over all things. And at any moment, he's going to burst through that door and bring forth his righteous judgment. But until he does that, you need to strengthen your resolve and wait patiently for him. You know, some scholars suggest that at the time of writing, James is convinced that God's return is so close, so imminent, that he doesn't want his audience to act out in retaliation against those who have been persecuting them. So instead of taking action uh, for, by themselves, James directs them to be like, be like the farmer whose livelihood is dependent upon the rain, or be like the prophets who endured their resolve in the midst of enormous pain. Wait with patience, for you have seen with your own eyes how God brings all things together for himself, the Lord who is full of mercy and compassion. So let's say we're getting coffee with James. We're at the Starbucks down by the Houston Levy Road. And and, uh, as he takes a sip of his coffee cup, you might say, if he was alive today, right? As he takes a sip of his cup, you say to him, James, you are a really smart guy. Surely you know that waiting is not the same thing as doing. Waiting is the very opposite of doing. And yet, throughout your entire letter, you tell us to be doers of the word, to not just talk to talk, but walk to walk, to not just repeat how much content we know about the faith, but to show the very content of our faith through our word and deed. But now you're going to undermine what seems to be the only point in your letter by directing us to sit and wait. 
And so you take a sip of your own coffee now because that was a mouthful. And uh, I wonder if James would reply and and ask us something like this. What makes waiting so miserable for you to handle? And I think we might say, well, what makes waiting unbearable at times is when we are waiting for the fulfillment of our heart's deepest desires. You know, we would explain that while waiting is miserable to endure at the long lines at Six Flags, that's not what's keeping us up at night, right? You see, what's probably keeping us up at night is whether or not our heart's deepest desire will ever be fulfilled. So I have this friend who's like the sister I've always wanted, especially growing up as an only child. Uh, We met at Abilene Christian University or God's Elect University uh, a few years ago. And every so often we'll catch up on the phone. And a few months ago we were having this conversation about unanswered prayers. And the more we move deeper into this conversation, her voice gets shakier. It's a little more difficult for her to say almost anything at all. And eventually, she begins to weep. You see, my dear sister in Christ has this deep longing to be married. And that desire remains unfulfilled. She, like many in our community, in our own community, struggles with a profound sense of loneliness. And while she understands that God doesn't guarantee her us a spouse, she nevertheless prays as she waits for her deepest desires to be met. And as she waits, I start to begin to hear James's words in the back of my mind as, she, as if he would once direct her to just be patient as she waits for the coming of the Lord is near. You know, this year at Highland, I spent a lot of time working with our young professional group, our 222 group. And one thing I can say about our group is that many of us are waiting for the jobs that we desire most. You know, the job that would provide our lives with meaning, the jobs we believe God has called us to, the jobs that would enable us to begin the rest of our lives. And yet time after time again, we are met with the sting of rejection Or worse, lack of opportunity. And yet, as we wait, I begin to hear James' words get a little louder. And in the back of my mind, in the midst of our waiting, and, and he says, wait patiently, strengthen your resolve. The Lord is near. The song you heard in the video before uh, I got up here was written and performed by uh, Kenna Grannis. Uh, She wrote this song when she and her husband were beginning to grapple with what seems to be infertility. And out of the many things that renders infertility a painful experience, the cruel irony is witnessing your own friends and family have children when you cannot. And she writes, My heart is begging for mercy. How much longer can I sit still and be hopeful and doubting and torn inside? And all this time, I've been staring at the minute hand. Oh, what a crime that I can't seem to understand that life is in the waiting. And even as I read her lyrics, 
James's words are now firmly in the back of my mind, for he has a word for her too. Wait patiently. Be patient in your waiting. Be like the prophets in the Hebrew Bible. Be like Job, who endured enormous amounts of suffering as he lived his life in the waiting. See, there are many people in this congregation who are living their lives in the waiting, and more specifically, they're waiting for their own suffering to end. You know, there are people in this very room who are waiting for the end of their own radiation treatment, while others of us in this room are waiting for the prognosis on behalf of a friend or family member. You know, this last week during the Thanksgiving holiday, I spoke with a Highlander who had to uh, leave town all of a sudden because her stepfather was recently diagnosed with what seems to be untreatable cancer. And now her family is waiting for a second opinion. You know, there are also Highlanders here who have lost their jobs unexpectedly and are now waiting for this new sense of purpose. I mean, there are couples in here who are waiting for that last straw to be pulled before their marriage falls apart. There are parents in here who are simply just waiting for their kids to come back to faith. And it's, it is in these moments when we, where we find out why we hate to wait, why we want to question and push back on James' call for us to wait with patience. For in the misery of our waiting, we are fundamentally reminded that fulfilling our heart's deepest desire is beyond our control. We want this outcome. We want this marriage. We want this person, this child, this job, this miracle so badly, so desperately, so severely that we would do anything for it. And despite our own sacrificial willingness, we are met with this sobering truth that fulfilling our deepest desires are beyond our control. And yet, as we all endure our lives in the waiting... James's words are now annoyingly booming in the back of our minds, right? Wait patiently, for the Lord is near. He is standing at the door. Be like the farmer whose livelihood is dependent upon the rain. Be like the prophets who endured enormous amounts of pain. You see, what is critical to understand about our passage this morning is James is not deliberately being annoying. He's not just trying to give us just something to do. What James is trying to help us understand is how we wait matters. How we wait for our deepest desires matters. And to see why the manner in which our waiting matters, we need to ask one more question. What is the cost of impatience? What is the cost of impatience? So recall that, that great line from this, the famous philosopher, uh, Master Yoda. <laughs> As he cautions Luke Skywalker about the cost of fear and what fear leads to. You know, he says, well, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Well, in a similar way, impatience over our deepest earthly desires leads to idolatry. This unholy obsession over that which we 
don't have, which leads to jealousy of those who have the very thing we want, which leads to impulsive action done to ourselves or to another, and impulsive action that stems from impatience almost always results in sin. So consider the farming the farmer whose livelihood is dependent upon the rain. You know, the farmer, out of her impatience, takes it upon herself to water her crops before the rainy season begins. And on the following day, rain rain just comes pouring down from heaven above. Her entire crop is ruined, right? You see, the cost of our impatience isn't the feelings or emotions we feel in our state of restlessness, but rather it's the result of our impulsivity from our restlessness that often gets us into trouble. You know, for whenever we act impatiently, in the words of one church father, we lose the very possession of ourselves. However, there is a far more subtle, more sinister consequence that arises from impatience. So, okay, and to illustrate this, let's, let me, let's think about this made-up example. Uh, brilliant made-up example. That was supposed to be funny, but never mind. <laughs> uh, okay, so, all right, let's say we gain whatever we, we deeply desire. For you, it might be that person you want to marry. It might be that dream job. It might be that having that child. It might be the miracle of being healed from a very terrible disease. And so now you are living life, enjoying the fruits of your fulfilled desires. And then one day, your cell phone rings, and so you pick it up, and it turns out that person on the other line is God. And God says, hey, man, I'm thinking about, I'm taking a poll here, and I'm thinking about uh, coming back, you know, maybe next week, maybe even tomorrow. And I'm just really, I'm just wondering, are you ready for me to come back? So as good Church of Christers, we are trained to answer, of course I'm ready, Lord. I follow the five-step plan of salvation, right? But that's not what the question is really asking, right? No, what the question is really asking is whether or not you are ready to let go of everything you've ever wanted in order to be with the one for whom your soul was ultimately made for. If we, were, if we were honest with ourselves, I, I wonder how many of us would really find comfort in that phone call. You know, I wonder if we would tell God, or would, would we have the audacity to tell God, you know, God, could you just hold off on the grand finale? Or could you just wait until I'm back in the middle of my own suffering? Because right now, Lord, life is good. See, the more sinister sinister cost of impatience over our earthly desires is that it leads us to forget our heavenly desire, the one who we are ultimately waiting to burst through that door, and that is none other than God himself. Hence James's point, right? How we wait matters. Waiting with patience matters because patience grounds us, it molds us, it forms us into the very kinds of people God calls us to be and to hear and now. 
Patience keeps our heart's deepest desires in alignment with our soul's ultimate desire as it enables us to endure the pain, the sadness, the agony as we live our lives in the waiting. And patience, patience shields us from being overwhelmed by our disappointment, our discontentment, and points us towards the only direction we should look. Or as Paul would say, We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand through him. And we boast in the hope of God's glory. But not only that. We even take pride in our problems because we know that trouble produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. You see, waiting with patience does not exempt us from suffering. Waiting with patience will not take away this discomfort, this restlessness we might be feeling when we wait. Waiting with patience does not guarantee that our earthly desires will ever be fulfilled. And that, my friends, is a painful reality. But James would say that is why patience matters all the more. Patience patience matters all the more because patience is the fruit given by the indwelling person of the spirit that enables us not to be overcome by sadness when evils arise. It is the quality by which we are able to choose to stay put and endure arduous and difficult things for the sake of the good. And by gifting us with the fruit of patience, the Spirit enables us to order and anticipate and hold our earthly desires in such a way that keeps us fixated on our heavenly desire, the one we are ultimately waiting for, and that is none other than God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this, uh, this morning marks the first Sunday of the Advent season. And if you were to take a class, In Christian history, one would learn that in the season of Advent, the church is not necessarily looking for the birth of Christ, but the church is waiting for the return of Christ. It's in this season where the church collectively begs, along with the prophet Isaiah, for the Lord to tear open the heavens and come down. And in the same spirit of John, the author of Revelation, we pray, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. So you see, the very point of the Advent season is simply this. We are waiting on God. God is not waiting on us. That's why James calls us to be patient, to wait with patience, because how we wait for our heavenly desire, how we wait for our earthly desires matters. And thus the call for us on this first Sunday of Advent is simply to ask indwelling spirit who resides within each and every one of you for the fruit of patience as we live our lives in the waiting. So uh, recall James, James's passing example of that door again. You know, waiting with patience enables us to look at that door and not only in the misery of our waiting, but with hope. For despite how restless we feel in the midst of our unfulfilled desires, we know that the person standing behind that door is where all desires will eventually end. 
In fact, the one behind that door is the first cause of all created things. He's the one who governs and sustains the universe, the one who came to this earth through the virgin birth, the one who taught us how to live and the one who taught us how to die by dying on the cross for our sin. And then after three days, he rose from the grave and ascended up into the heavenly realm. The one behind that door is Jesus Christ. And one day he's going to burst through that door again in absolute glory. So pay attention to what James says. The Lord is near. He's standing at the door. And whenever that door opens, our eyes will be met with the most sublime, the most blessed sight one can't possibly imagine. For on that day, we will finally see the very essence of mercy and compassion. And we will all say, praise God. Let's stand and sing. All who are thirsty and all who are